Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 36. I'm Kip Clark, and today with me in the studio we have Sam Whipple. Pleasure to finally be here. Thanks for having me, Kip. Happy to have you, Sam. So today we're going to be talking about Hillary Clinton's recent nomination, and you are, of course, here because I think you know the political landscape pretty well. You are, of course, a poli-sci major. Where would you like to start this conversation? Yes, well, besides being a poli-sci major, useful to get all of the biases on the table. I'm the president of the Kenyon College Democrats, so that's one thing that sort of goes into my thinking about all this. Fair enough. The most important consequence to me for Hillary finally entering the race is that We wondered for a long time, not so much about whether or not she would, but about when she would. The resistance in making this a coronation, finally, is that it was very clear for a long time that she was going to get into this thing. And now that she finally has, the media, of course, has been intensely scrutinizing her. From the incident in April where she was followed into an Ohio Chipotle and people questioned, is she trying to finagle voters by trying to seem down to earth? And she's clearly a very larger than life figure, I think, in a way, because her name extends beyond the scope of American politics. I mean, Bill Clinton certainly has worldwide recognition because of the work that his foundation does. One question I have related to the Clinton Foundation, obviously she's been under scrutiny recently based on the book Clinton Cash which accuses both her and Bill, according to the author, of accepting bribes from foreign countries and other interests that might influence how she would act as Secretary of State. And I would be curious to hear your take on that or about some of the controversy surrounding that in general and what you take away from it. Sure. Well, the first thing that I find interesting about all of that is that For the longest time, you may remember that there was the email scandal that existed when Mm -hmm. information came out about her using her own private email server when she was Secretary of State and all of the documentation issues that that brought into question. So for a long time, at least from my reading and from my viewing of the news cycle around it, you heard a lot of people saying this is going to be a game changer for her campaign. And as far as I can tell, with this new revelation, it's fallen off the face of the earth. And I think that's to be expected. It's funny how those issues can seem so monumental at one point and get almost completely overshadowed by others. It's sort of the nature of the news cycle, I think. But as far as this latest allegation goes, you can make the connection. And the connection that's been made in in this new book, Clinton Cash, is that while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, the Clinton Foundation received donations from certain foreign agents who potentially could have leveraged Hillary's position as Secretary of State to gain certain political concessions. One of the major ones that came out was that a Canadian firm who had some sort of connection to, I believe it was a Russian uranium mining facility, was interested in building a facility somewhere that her jurisdiction as Secretary of State could have had potential influence over. There are certainly many more particulars to it than that, I'm paraphrasing. The connection can be made, but Hillary had obviously resigned her position having any involvement with the Clinton Foundation when she became Secretary of State. The question is whether or not you can say that as her husband, Bill, who still obviously plays a very prominent role in the Clinton Foundation, is going to have any sort of influence over what she does as Secretary of State or in the future as President. It's a really interesting question to my mind, just what kind of political calculation and political consequences will result from the fact that for the first time ever, we'll have not only a female as president if she gets elected, but also the wife of a former president. In a fairly crass way, I heard it joked that it would be the first time we've ever had a president who has had sex with another American president. (laughs) 
which if you think about it is true and weird. Right. It's a very interesting joke to make. One thing that I think about when people discuss the bribery that goes into politics and the financial aspirations of some companies to influence those in their jurisdiction and vice versa, I always wonder how people think politics operate in Washington. Obviously, I'm no expert, but you need campaign funds. You need means of transportation. You need sponsorships for certain things, I suspect. And to fund all of that, you generally have large sponsors or groups that are sponsoring you in some way. And I guess it gets complicated when you don't have means of getting money. You typically resort to those forms of sponsorship. And I feel bribery could very easily be thrown around as a term sometimes. And I think that's where waters get muddy. And I'd be curious to hear what you think about the relationship between, let's say, corporate interests or any large financial sums and the politicians in Washington who ideally, in my opinion, are operating on a very humble level, of course. That's not the reality that we live in. What do you think about all of that? Well, you mentioned the word bribery. You can bet it gets thrown around plenty because Mm -hmm. one of the other biggest issues with Hillary Clinton's campaign is that a lot of people are very critical of the fact that if you really dig into where her money actually comes from, it is in large part from big Wall Street firms, places like Goldman Sachs, with ties to the very same banking sector that many pinpoint as the main agent who was responsible for the 2008 financial crisis. This is such a big issue as far as I can see because the data seems pretty clear that as income inequality grows in the United States and in other countries around the world, though the U.S. has seen some of the worst of it, a lot of people, I think, are really looking for a candidate who can embody those principles. And it's a question that a lot of people have brought up in relation to Elizabeth Warren, who is a senator from your home state, I believe, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts. And many people have wondered if she's actually going to run because her time in the Senate has represented the populist and progressive policies that many people are looking for in a candidate for president. Mm -hmm. But money in politics is a sticking point of mine because there are so many problems with it at every level. And one of the biggest ones is that it is so expensive to run for any public office and it has a kind of crowding out effect. We saw it in my home state of New York with a woman named Zephyr Teachout, crazy name. But she ran against a guy named Andrew Cuomo, who's currently the governor of New York. She ran on that same kind of platform, one where she wanted to do work to decrease the gap between the rich and the poor, which is an especially big problem in New York State, where in Manhattan especially, rising housing levels have drawn money from foreign governments, from wealthy Wall Street executives. It's a place where the issue has sort of reached a kind of critical mass. Her campaign ultimately failed, but she really succeeded in, I think, getting that message across and to be a relative outsider and still do as well as she did really kind of spoke to what people are trying to see in terms of those policies. So you use the term outsider. Would you say that Hillary Clinton has in some way alienated herself from the masses of people because of her support from high profile or high wealth companies and other organizations that have in fact supported her? Do you think she has any chance of relating to the common individual in America? Well, that's definitely the concern, and the politics of it are very tricky, because what she really wants to do is show that she can be an Elizabeth Warren-type figure, even without compromising the policies that she seems to have worked towards in the past and during her time as senator. A lot of people have criticized her for being hawkish when it comes to issues on foreign policy, and her ties to Wall Street clearly suggest that she might not have the same ability or the drive to do what it is Elizabeth Warren seems very capable of doing. Though I myself 
herself would make the argument that because of what Elizabeth Warren has proven able to do, she started the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau when she was in the Senate. She's proven herself to be a dogged pursuer of progressive politics. And that's something that people, I think, are really, really looking for. But if she chooses not to run, Clinton is going to have to prove that she can in some way rise to that level and attract that part of America. So as a quick aside, I wanted to ask if you think the influence of, let's say, smaller candidates, and I'm using air quotes, but candidates who might not have as much funding or as much support and may not even run in the long term or at least win the primary election, do you think they make a difference or impact the campaign strategies of, let's say, quote unquote, larger candidates like Clinton or Cruz or Rubio or Jeb Bush who might be running and see the appeal that these, quote unquote, smaller candidates might have? Do you think candidates have a substantial chance of impacting one another, even if they don't have a ton of support? Well, I think the hope is, and my hope certainly is, that even if Elizabeth Warren doesn't end up running, she will still be able to, in the political speak of it all, move Clinton to the left. That is to say that she can, by providing a kind of gravitational force on the left end of the political spectrum, be able to pull Clinton in that direction because she carries with her such a mass of people all concerned with issues like the ones I mentioned. It's definitely true that people like Elizabeth Warren can have that kind of influence. A lot of the discussion has also been, though, whether or not she can really have that kind of effect without putting herself in the race. The discussion tends to revolve around, will Elizabeth Warren decide to run so that Hillary Clinton will have a significant primary challenger? Because of the way the primary system is structured, which serves as a useful mechanism for sorting out candidates on either side of the spectrum, if Elizabeth Warren were to decide to get into the race, she would have a much better chance of influencing Hillary in that way than many people are hoping. But like I said, one of the problems is because many presidential candidates need to already be millionaires if they are really to hope to have a successful run and need to court the likes of Sheldon Adelson, the wealthy casino magnate on the Republican side, who hosts his own mini primary just to get candidates involved. And many of them end up having to kind of cater to him and just attend these events to make sure that they can actually get the money. The prospect becomes so expensive. And one of the other main issues with it is that candidates who have to raise that kind of money spend three quarters of the average day making phone calls trying to get money. And my argument would be that for a democratic system where we're interested in policymaking, where ideally, candidates, even who currently hold open seats, are trying to craft policy in a democratic system that is inherently slow moving. That is to say that progress and and individual issues take time to actually find their way to legislation. Making the prospect of candidacy so expensive takes so much time away from actual policymaking that even from the perspective of simply writing a bill, it is such a time suck. (laughs) It almost leaves no room for the average candidate at every level, all the way down to the local level. Candidates have to spend so much time on the phones that they're not spending any time actually refining what it is that they want to do when they get into office. So Sam, I know you obviously have a lot of expertise on the subject. Are there any questions you have for me, someone who admittedly doesn't know as much as he would like to about politics and of course wants to be politically active and vote during election season? I definitely do. One of the things I find is that for myself and other people who follow politics in a very specific way, who are sort of interested in the inner mechanics of it all, it's very easy to get sucked up into the 24-hour news cycle and the inner political nitpickings of it all. And I feel like sometimes I kind of just forget that 
for those who don't pay as much attention, it must look like a completely different landscape. So I'd actually love to ask you, and we can start specifically, who'd you vote for in 2012, if you don't mind my asking? I don't mind, actually. I know there are certain people out there who would be very hesitant to share I personally voted for Obama in 2012. The fact that most people wouldn't be willing to share, I think, is willing of a discussion in itself. Mm -hmm. But anyway, how do you think he's done? Do you think that's going to influence your choice come 2016? That's a very good question. Obviously, he's not going to run again. I will say I think people have given him a lot of flack. And although I don't know a ton about politics, I do recognize that our political system has three branches and also that one president has a cabinet and advisors and, of course, a Congress to work with. And I think people often see the president as a monarch, which is ironic given how we rebelled and divorced ourselves from the British Empire because we didn't like monarchical rule. But I think people often see the president as the sole leader. And it really bugs me when people refer to the president as the leader of the free world, where maybe he or she has influence to be sure but is not the sole leader of the U.S. nor of the globe, and I think that's problematic. And so to me, it's important that a president has important policies or ideas, but also that they have proper support behind them, advisors who are diverse in their interests and knowledge and that are willing to support the president and also are not bought up in certain leanings and can be honest with the president, whomever he or she may be. So when it comes to Obama, I think he's tried to institute a lot of change, I think it's been very difficult for him, and I don't know that he has succeeded in ways that I'd like to see. Frankly, I think that he was an idealist coming in, and that Congress and other groups have not been particularly lenient in trying to help him out, which is fair because everyone has their own opinions in politics, and that's how our system works. It is democratic, but I do think that a lot of his changes, although some people might disagree with them, have not passed through easily or quickly because of backlash from other individuals or groups. When it comes to this election, things that I personally would look for I've always felt that our military is far too large. I respect the men and women who serve. I think they do very, very hard work, to put it lightly. They put themselves in the line of danger. The psychological and physical dangers alone, I can barely imagine. But I will say that I think the U.S. military does not need to be spread as far as it is. We spend a lot of money on it, and that really bugs me because at a certain point, I will be paying more and more taxes as I become more financially independent, and I'd like to see that money going into things that I think support the U.S. and don't anger other nations necessarily. I don't think the U.S. has to patrol as much as it does. And frankly, still having bases in countries like Japan and Germany, to me, doesn't make a ton of sense because I think they're quite stable and can take care of themselves. So I would like to see in a candidate someone who is willing to reduce military spending, someone who cares more about infrastructure and making more jobs in the U.S. and looking at social issues like gay rights, things like that to me are very important. I'd also like to see the gap between rich and poor shrink because I think that's very troubling. And I also believe that a large middle class is what ultimately drives spending in a lot of ways. Granted, I'm no political or economic expert, so a lot of this I'm sure people could easily shoot a lot of holes in, but that is how I feel. I'd like to read up more on it, and I know that I have a lot of studying to do, but I do intend to pay attention. And I also think increasingly, which could bring us back to Hillary specifically, technology is becoming increasingly complex and also increasingly interrelated into political scandals and other things of that nature. Just recently, as we're recording this, Barack Obama's email was hacked, for example, and apparently Russian individuals were able to extract some information from his email, which I think we often associate with Obama, but frankly there's a cyber defense system in place which other individuals are responsible for. I suspect the CIA or other related groups, and it's not Obama's fault. Of course, Hillary recently with the email scandal, again, these are things that relate to technology, how we store information, how we share information, and I think to throw it back to you, I'm very concerned with privacy 
on the internet. And I think that people do deserve privacy. Obviously, there are plenty of systems right now that monitor individual information, and I'd like to see a presidential candidate who appears concerned with that because I do think that monitoring, much like U.S. military patrolling, is problematic and doesn't need to be as extensive as it is. I don't think there are as many threats to U.S. security as perhaps some officials would lead us to believe. What do you think about a presidential candidate talking about technological issues? Before I get to that, I did want to pick out one thing that you said that really stuck with me, which was the fact that if you don't consider yourself a political insider or have extensive knowledge, I certainly can't claim the same. But if we could make the assumption that you are the average consumer of media who's not necessarily reading Politico every day, but might watch the news occasionally, if that sounds like it applies to you, Mm -hmm. then how much do you feel at this point like you really know about any of the candidates' stances on anything? Because I think so much of what you get at is that with all of these broad policy implications, with so many areas that deserve a attention and real communication on the part of leaders and the folks who are going to represent us in government. I wonder just how much they're actually succeeding in communicating those values and those positions to the average American. So as somebody who might be representative of that person, what would you say about that? Well, one thing that sticks out immediately is that when I think of news stories that I've heard about these politicians, I hear about scandals first, things Chris Christie said on his radio show that offended some people. Hillary Clinton with the email, other things related to that. And I think that's very telling about how we view politics and maybe what influence the media has on how politicians are portrayed. Often news stories that are dramatic and scary will sell and get a lot of readership. As a result, we then come to believe these politicians are very ominous and very flawed people. And frankly, who isn't flawed, but we come to demonize politicians in a way that I don't think is fair. I will say I wish politicians were more humble in our system. Politicians should serve the people rather than the other way around, and I worry that that's becoming gradually less and less the case. I look back to George Washington, someone I admire a lot, who was reluctant to be the first president, didn't want that power, wanted to retire to Mount Vernon, and because of his incredible leadership capabilities, he was requested very earnestly to come serve in office, and of course did so very well because he wasn't seeking power that's something that politicians nowadays are not as in touch with. One of the best quotes I think I've ever heard about George Washington was a historian who said that when George Washington had the opportunity to become king of America and decided not to, he became the greatest man in American history. I think it was exactly what you said, that he displayed that humility in a way that was so apparent when he really had an opportunity to take advantage of folks in a big way. It's not something I think becomes as apparent that modern political candidates actually have that sense of humility. And I think part of it is due to what you mentioned, that the first thing we often hear about is when something has gone wrong, when there's this sort of insider drama that is picked apart and really fed on by the 24-hour news cycle. So to answer your earlier question, no, I don't really think I know about these stances of candidates yet, which to be fair, it's 2015. The election is not immediate in our future but I would like to hear more as time goes on, of course. Let me get back to your technology question, though. We really don't know enough about just what Hillary would do when it comes to the information that Edward Snowden revealed about the broad surveillance and collection of American phone calls and other tech-based communications. I hope we're going to find out more, but my guess is that the politics of it are going to be very difficult for her to navigate because there is definitely a tension between what it is that the NSA is supposedly doing in terms 
terms of its service to national security and what we as Americans believe is a given constitutional right in terms of the Second Amendment and protection from search and seizure. So unfortunately, I think we sort of find ourselves at an impasse that, like you said, we just don't know enough about that position. And oh, I think we're certainly not going to see any reform of the NSA by the time President Obama's out of office. I think it's unfortunate, but accurate at this point that we're not going to see anything change there. But my hope is that enough pressure on a new presidential candidate might be able to kind of push us in that direction. Part of it, though, again, is information. People need to be more informed about this. John Oliver just recently did a great segment where he asked some folks out in Times Square if they knew anything about Edward Snowden in the first place. And the majority of them just knew that he was a traitor in some capacity, which I think gets at the issue of just how uninformed people might be about those issues. And I'm glad you refer to people out in Times Square, the common person, because one of the final things I want to talk about regarding Hillary is, of course, the fact that she is a female candidate, which impacts people's decisions. Personally, I'm a bit embarrassed that we live in a country that claims to be as progressive as it is, and we have never had a female president. Obviously, there are women serving in other areas of politics, and I'm incredibly proud of that but the representation is not nearly what it should be given that women are 50% of the population. And I will say other countries like South Korea and Brazil currently have female leaders, and I'm very impressed by their political ambition. That said, I think a lot of people in America might vote against Hillary simply because she's a woman, which troubles me. I don't know that I would ever vote for her because she's a woman, but I will say if Hillary and a male candidate shared the exact same politics, I would probably vote for Hillary because it's high time that a woman serve in the Oval Office, and I think that would be very impressive as a country, although far later than I think we deserve. And I'm worried that a lot of people might vote against her or say asinine things. There are far too many examples in journalism where journalists comment on her appearance or her makeup as though that has any bearing on her political beliefs or how she's going to lead as either a senator or a secretary of state or a presidential candidate. And that really bothers me because I think the media can expose its sexist roots at times and that's problematic because we need news outlets that represent her fairly. And if she makes a mistake, show that. But if she's simply being a human being and having an appearance, why comment on it? That makes no sense to me and it really bothers me when some people do. And I know I just threw a lot at you, but what do you think about the fact that of course she is a female candidate running for president? Well, first of all, I definitely agree with you and I think it's about time. A female in the Oval Office is something that should probably have happened by now. And if Hillary's not the person to do it, hopefully Elizabeth Warren would be in the future. That said, part of the mistake Hillary made in 2008 was treating her campaign like she believed and like many on her team believed that it was her time. And it's what a lot of people are cautioning against her doing in 2016 is making that assumption and treating this campaign, this appeal to the voters as something more arrogant than what it should be. I think she can avoid that mistake this time around, and I think even if there is that kind of pressure, that idea that a woman belongs in the Oval Office now and that she's the person to do it, I think she has plenty of other qualifications besides simply the fact that she's a woman that are going to qualify for the office very much. A lot of people talk about the idea of a dynastic presidential election happening in 2016 if Hillary Clinton becomes the nominee on the Democratic side and Jeb Bush ends up the nominee on the Republican side. But one of the reasons I find that to be a false comparison is that Jeb is a son in the Bush family, whereas Hillary, I think, has very clearly demonstrated in a lot of ways that she's her own woman. 
that she has served in her own time as a senator, that she has her own policies on a number of issues, and hopefully we're going to find out what more of those are as her campaign progresses. But a lot of people would point to the fact that she supported her husband when he was president in doing this or signing that act. But I think what hasn't really been talked about enough is just what we gain from a candidate who knows the inner workings of the Oval Office so well. Plenty of presidents have had a quote that deals with this issue in some way, that so many people that end up in that office have no idea what to expect on the first day. Hillary, I think we'll find, has a really intimate knowledge of just how the inner workings of the Oval Office operate, which I think is a really, really valuable asset to her as a candidate, especially because so much of what a president does is political. We miss part of that now, I think, because, and you touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about how America has come to focus on the president as a kind of figurehead for government as opposed to the Congress, which is interesting in a democratic system where, theoretically, the legislature is the place where we should be focusing all of our attention because that's where law really comes from. And part of that shift began with presidents like FDR and fireside chats, and when the president started really coming in to the homes of the American people. And media has become such a tool for making that happen. And it's really catalyzed with President Obama's need for executive action in the face of Congress being unable to tie their own shoes, let alone pass a bill. But I think with the increasing importance of the executive and the need for an intimate knowledge of how the politics of that all works, Hillary's really got that going for her. Aside of the fact that we need a woman in that office, she brings with her, I think, a depth of experience that other candidates can't really speak to. Those are all very valid points. And before we close out the episode, what are some things you would urge listeners to look for, maybe in news reports or scandals that might happen, to try and keep a level head in the political fiasco that is American politics? What would you suggest people pay attention to? Well, I cannot in good conscience urge any of our listeners to listen to Fox News, but I would really recommend trying to find a diverse array of outlets who are covering presidential candidates, the policies that they're talking about, the ways that they're trying to connect with voters. I think that's essential. And if I could say anything, really, what that all goes into is voting. This is one thing I will never stop talking about, which is that voting, in my opinion, is the least common denominator of American politics. If there is one thing you are certainly guaranteed to to as a citizen, it is your right to vote. And at the very least, that should come with some information. Whatever issue you find to be particularly influential in your life or one that you particularly care about, politics is a broad, broad field. And it's not easy to weigh every single issue and policy and compare candidates on that basis. But finding something, at least one thing, that you really care about and finding a candidate who matches up with that, even in the limited system that we have of Democrats and Republicans, is essential and voting is the next logical step in that equation. People need to be aware of the issues. And of course, with the mention of technology earlier, there are more and more fields with which one can be concerned as a voter. But I concur, people need to take advantage of the right to vote and pay attention. I also agree, I love what you said about a diverse array of news sources. I would also encourage people to be aware of judgmental news as opposed to informational news. Try and find news sources that tell you the story rather than those that tell you the conclusion of the story because I think voters should not only be informed but should have as much information as they want to swim through. Obviously there's a lot to go over but it's important that people have those discussions, have conversations like we have now and of course politics divide people a lot but I think the fact that we have a democratic system is amazing. And I don't think people appreciate that enough. And I hope that people, however heated the arguments might get, have discussions about what they believe, what they want out of the 2016 election, 
etc. And of course, Sam, thanks for being here to talk about such an interesting topic. Thank you for having me. And to our audience, I know we jumped around on a lot of things surrounding Hillary and of course have not discussed other candidates at this point, but we would love to hear what you have to say if you have any opinions or comments or criticisms on either the episode or the topic therein. If you would like to comment, our Twitter is at Stride N Saunter. Our Facebook is Stride and Saunter. You can email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And we encourage you to visit our website, strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Sam Whipple, and I approve this message.